Uh, this morning, we're going to be in the book of Habakkuk. And uh, what you want to do probably is find the book of Index first, <laughs> and then find the book of Habakkuk. And uh, unless you were smart like some people this morning that already stuffed their notes in there, they're like, hey, we found, that. we found that before you got to the sermon, and we slid our notes in because, you know, we wanted to make sure we got there. Okay, yeah, not a very popular book uh, that, that's taught out of frequently, very small book in the Minor Prophets. Uh, let me just say this, the Minor Prophets are, are called the Minor Prophets because their, their books are generally smaller than what's called the major prophets, okay? The major prophets being like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Those books are, are in size quite a bit bigger, especially the book of Isaiah. So, you know, some of these smaller guys, you know, when you're trying to memorize the books of your Bible, they're just kind of all in there, and it's like, how can you remember the order? And they're all kind of packaged together in those minor prophets. Uh, so Habakkuk chapter 2, page 1162, if, uh, if you got a Bible like me. And, uh, and maybe that'll encourage you to get one like me if you don't know where it's at. So uh, this morning, we're going to be our fourth week. We'll sell those to you for 50 bucks, by the way. Uh, 49.95. Okay, I will cut you a deal. Uh, this morning, we're in the fourth week of our series called Clearly. And uh, we're, trying to just, we're trying to just start the year right, having a clear understanding of some things. Uh, you know, 2020 is the year of vision, right? Uh, so every pastor is taking advantage of that. Why not us? Okay. Uh, we want to we begin this year with a clear vision for our life. We want to have a clear vision for our ministry. Uh, three weeks ago, we talked about the first, the first thing that we need to see clearly is Christ's redemption and what he's done for us. And sometimes when we get saved and we've been saved a little while, we kind of forget really what, what the Lord has done, right? Okay, well, not you, but me. Okay, I, I've been saved a minute. And uh, and. And let's just be honest, the more you walk with the Lord and, and the more that you try to just live out this Christian life, I mean, there's things that you forget. You forget what he really saved you from. And we looked in Luke chapter 17 about these 10 lepers. All of them had leprosy. All of them cried out for mercy. Jesus Christ healed all 10. But there was only one that actually came back to Christ, worshiped at his feet, gave God the thanks. And, and that's a picture of our salvation. What motivated him to come back to Christ was when he saw himself that he had been cleansed. And we just wanted to say, as we, as we begin this year, man, for every one of us that's a believer in Christ, God help us to, to be reminded clearly of what he has saved us from and the sin that he saved us from and who we were before we met Christ and who we are now. And man, that'll, that'll change your focus uh, from week to week, and certainly for the year, when you begin realizing and remembering what Christ did for you. Two weeks ago, we, we looked in Mark chapter 8, and we studied a passage where Jesus and the disciples were in a city called Bethsaida. And in that city, there was a blind man that the disciples brought to Jesus Christ. This man was blind. That city had, had certainly seen many of Christ's miracles, and yet as a whole had rejected Christ. And the disciples brought this blind man to Jesus Christ, hoping that he would touch him. And the Lord spat in his eyes. He spit in his eyes to heal him. And that's kind of gross. And we talked about how that's a picture of shame. And it's also a picture of bearing Christ's shame because Christ himself was spat on. And so he spits in his eyes and he touched him. And he said, what do you see? And, and, and the man answered, I see men as tree. You paid attention to that, to that lesson. Praise the Lord. I see men as trees, 
And the Lord said, well, okay, let me touch you again. And he touched him again. And then he said, I see every man clearly. And so the, we try to take from that passage, you know, once we see Christ's redemption clearly in our life, when we're reminded of that, we need to see every man clearly. In other words, we need to see every man the way God sees every man, either as a missionary or a mission field. There are people that, that are in dire need of the gospel. We work with them. They're our neighbors. They're our family. They're people in our community. They're people all over the world, like in Zambia, Africa. We need to see the need that people have in their life, that spiritually they're blind to the gospel, and we need to do everything in our power by the grace of God to get the gospel at least to them, to give them the opportunity to, to receive Christ. But we also, as saved people, can get blind to, to men. We, we can forget that men are the ministry. And, and we need to be reminded continually, we need a, 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 a reminder from the Lord and maybe even a, a repetitive touching of our eyes so that we see that men are the object of Christ's ministry, therefore men should be the object of our ministry. We're called to reach men. We're just called to reach men and women. We're called to reach humanity with the gospel. Last week, we looked in Luke chapter 6, and we studied the passage, uh, Matthew 7 and Luke chapter 6, and it was the passage about having a beam in your eye. And the message entitled was, was we need to see our beam and our brother clearly. And the point last week was, you know, when we talked about reaching the lost and reaching the world, that's one thing, but we have a church family. And, and many times we don't see each other clearly because there's something in our eye that blinds us to the ministry. We have a beam, and we studied that beam out, and that beam is hypocrisy. Many times we live hypocritical lives. We know what the Bible says. We just don't live it. And yet we're really good at picking out the, the, the fallacy and shortcomings in other people's lives, right? I know you're not like that, but, but the other Christians that are in the city, they do that. They're really good at picking out the shortcomings in other people's lives. And God wanted to remind us, hey, whatever you think you see in somebody else's life, look in your own eye. There's probably a beam that's blinding you from your ability to actually minister effectively. And so we talked about God wants us to live holy. He wants us to cast out this beam out of our eye. And then he wants us to love our brother. And if you see a beam or a moat, excuse me, in your brother's eye, in other words, you see something in his life that, that doesn't line up with what the word of God says and what the gospel teaches, you should love him enough to actually go to him and encourage him and ask him, hey man, what's going on in your life? I love you in the Lord, man. And, 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 and I've, I've humbled myself, and I'm nobody, but I love you enough to ask you the hard question, right? And so it really talked about our, our need to see each other in the church family clearly. Okay, that's all review, so let's get into the text, because this morning, God wants us to see the vision clearly. God wants us to see what is this thing all about? Like, like what's the point? I got saved, I'm in church, I'm, I'm learning the Bible. God, what do you want me to do? And listen, if you ask 10 Christians walking down the street, what do you think God wants you to do? You probably get 10 different answers. And I don't think the Bible teaches that there are 10 different answers. I think there's one thing that, that we're to be about. And I, as we get into the Word of God this morning, God's going to remind us from this short little book of Habakkuk and a short two verses what we're to be about. And God wants to see clearly what we're to be about as a church and as individual Christians. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless the time. Father, we love you. God, give us uh, your power and your wisdom through your spirit 
uh, to understand your word today. Father, we need you. Uh, we thank you for, for Brian Collins. We thank you for uh, the missionaries that are, that are all over this planet, God, that we partner with, and we love them, and we pray for them, and, and we're excited that, that, uh, that literally uh, all over the world, God, the ministry is being accomplished through, through partnership, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, Lord, this morning, we need to see clearly what the vision is, what the mission is, because it's only one thing. And for some of us, we need clarity and quit. we need to quit grasping at straws of what Christianity really is all about. And we just need to come to the conclusion, this is clearly what I'm, I'm to be about with my life. And so, Lord, help us. I pray that Christ is glorified in everything that's said and done. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Habakkuk chapter 2, we're going to read verses 1 and 2. Uh, it should be on the screen. Uh, the Bible says this, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower and will watch to see what he, and the he there is the Lord, what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And what you need to know about Habakkuk is Habakkuk is an Old Testament prophet. There's actually not a lot of information about his identity, about who he is. It's a very short book. There's only three chapters. Most of the book of Habakkuk deals with a dialogue between Habakkuk and the Lord and the Lord answering Habakkuk. It really records for us a pretty amazing conversation that happens between these two. Israel, or Judah, is under judgment. Uh, Habakkuk is praying and asking God, why are these wicked Chaldeans, these Babylonians, who are more wicked than, than Judah, why are they actually exercising judgment against us, against us? And why are you allowing it? And, and, and so Israel is in, is in reproach. They backslidden against the Lord. They're, they're facing the consequence of that. And Habakkuk is just asking the Lord, why? why? Why is all this evil happening? You can watch the news today and ask that same question. Why is evil happening? Why, why is God allowing nations, people, organizations that are more evil than, than what we would say we are? Why, why is God allowing them to prosper? And it seems like the people that are God's people or even the nation of Israel for that perspective, why do they suffer? You know, why do they suffer? And so, and so God really doesn't answer his question directly, but he does teach on the, the main point. And there's a lot of prophecy in the book of Habakkuk concerning the second coming of Christ. And, and that's the answer. The reason why is because God is at work and God's going to accomplish his will no matter what, no matter who, who is in control or what government or what nation is being used. God ultimately is going to accomplish his purpose. The reason I chose this passage is because Habakkuk is a man desiring an answer from the Lord. And I think we need to position ourselves the way Habakkuk does so that God can answer us and give us clarity about what he desires for our life. And so let me give you the first point for study uh, this morning. God gives vision to those who are ready to receive it. God gives vision to those who are ready to receive it. Habakkuk says in chapter 2 and verse 1, I will stand upon my watch. Now, that doesn't mean his watch around his wrist. It means his watch as in a watchman or standing upon the watchtower. He actually says, I'm going to set me upon the tower and I will watch to see what, what he, the Lord, will say to me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. It is very interesting that even though Israel as a nation is backslidden and under God's judgment, this prophet of God was interested in what God would have to say to him. Not just as a nation, 
but to him personally. Now, obviously, he's a prophet, and he's going to take God's word and teach the people, but he positions himself ready to receive whatever God has for him. And the two places, that I guess the two things that are really important here is, number one, he stood in the right place. In other words, he stood in a place ready to warn other people. Now, where did he stand? He stood upon his watch, and he was set upon the what? The tower. And again, if you've never studied this in the Old Testament, I think Colin maybe taught this a couple of weeks ago in, in his Sunday school class, uh, this, this watch duty or watchtower position is a position to warn people of impending and incoming danger. You know, right now during our service, and we do this every week, we have people that actually watch the parking lot, watch the security cameras, watch everything that's going on, watch our classrooms. They're watching in case something bad happens. Does that, does that make sense? You need to be thankful for that and those people that serve and do that, by the way, uh, because, they, because they, they have our bets. Listen, if they saw something bad about to happen and didn't warn us, well, what, what's the point, <laughs> right? What's the point? So, so Habakkuk has positioned himself as a prophet. He's setting upon his watch. He's set upon the tower. You see a very similar passage out of Ezekiel chapter 33. And I think this is what Colin preached a couple of weeks ago uh, in Sunday school. Let me just read it out of Ezekiel 33, verses 1 to 7. It says, again, the word of the Lord came unto me, Ezekiel, another prophet of God, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coast and set him for their watchman, if when he seeth the sword come upon the land... He blow the trumpet and warn the people. So his job, if he sees the enemy coming, his job is to blow the trumpet and to warn the people. You guys okay with that? You're really quiet this morning. Then whosoever shall hear at the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. In other words, if there's some guy that just, you know, it's kind of out to lunch, not really paying attention, and they blow the trumpet. Man, the enemy is coming. And this guy's just, you know, sitting there eating tacos, just not even paying attention to life. And the enemy comes and captures him captive and takes him away into captivity. Whose fault is it? It's his fault. They blew the trumpet, they warned of, of coming judgment, and you're just, you're just ignorant, man. You're not listening. It, your blood is on your own hands and head. It's, it's your responsibility. He that heareth the sound of the trumpet and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him. But he that taketh the warning shall deliver his soul. So if you heeded the warning, your soul is delivered. But if the watchman see the sword come and blow not the trumpet and the people be not warned, if the sword come and take any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity. In other words, the person is in sin and, and, and he, he's, God's using a, a nation against them to bring judgment. But his blood will I require at the watchman's hand. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from who? From me. You see, Ezekiel was the same as Habakkuk. They were both watchmen. 
They both had a, a calling and a position as a prophet of God to hear God's word and to proclaim that warning to the people. And whatever the people did with that, well, ultimately it was on the people. But their job was to warn. Does that, does that make sense? Listen, danger could come at any time. And, and, and as you study this thing of the watchman throughout the Bible, uh, danger certainly could come at any time. But, but generally speaking, you, you want a watchman at night. You need a watchman at night. I mean, listen, most of us know that, man. You go home, the, the, the sun goes down, it's dark outside. You put up your security cameras, you turn on your, your ADT or your Simple Safe or whatever your, your home security. You let the dog out of the cage, right? You got your little barking alarm system. If somebody comes to the front door, you want, you want notification, especially at night, because you can't see. You want warning. Well, it's interesting in Mark chapter 13 and verse 35, God tells us, Jesus tells his disciples where to watch. And we're to watch specifically during the night. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, even at evening or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning. And, and, and the, the Jewish night biblically ran from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Okay? And so from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., that's the evening. From 9 p.m. To, to 12 would be midnight. From 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. would be the time of the cock crowing, and from 3 to 6 would be the time of the morning. So it's kind of broken up into four different watches. You say, why is that important that we watch during the night? Well, the Bible teaches that we are in spiritual night right now. You say, Jay, it's, 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 it's 12 noon. <laughs> How are we at spiritual night right now? Well, the Bible says that in John chapter 9, when Jesus Christ was on this planet... While he presently was here in person, while he was here on this earth, because he is the Son of God, not only the S-O-N, Son of God, but he is the S-U-N, the Son of God, according to the book of Malachi, when Christ is on the earth, it's daytime, it's spiritual day. John 9 and verse 4, 4 through 5 says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And many of you know that. Well, Jesus Christ finished his earthly ministry. He died on the cross of Calvary. He resurrected. He spent 40 days with his disciples preaching and teaching the kingdom of God. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus Christ was taken up from the world. And he went to heaven. That's called his ascension. And so if while he was on this earth, it is day, and the Lord himself said, the night cometh. Listen, when he ascended out of this world, spiritually speaking, the light went out. The light went out. We are in a season of spiritual night. That is why you need to watch. Because the night is at hand. The night is here. We're in spiritual night. Romans 13 and verse 12 says this, The night is far spent. Paul understood that, that after Christ's ascension, we're in a, a period of, of spiritual night. He says the night is far spent. The day is what? At hand. The thing that follows the night is the, is the day. And, and literally what Paul is talking about is the day of the Lord. He says, therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 2, for ye yourselves know perfectly that the day 
of the Lord, so cometh as a thief in the... Look, every night is always followed by a, a day. And, and because we're in spiritual night, this dispensation or, or time period of the church age, after Christ's ascension, well, the next thing that's going to happen is the day of the Lord. And, and as you study the Bible, and that's not the point this morning, but, but as you study the Bible, listen, the day of the Lord certainly includes the rapture all the way to the second coming of Jesus Christ, the millennial reign. What, what is, Jay, why are you even wasting our time with that this morning? Well, I want you to understand that Habakkuk positioned himself on a watch, and he put himself on a tower. He actually was ready to warn people of whatever God would say to him. Those are the people that God wants to reveal his vision to, those that are willing and concerned to warn other people. Colossians chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. Your calling as a Christian, and I know, you're, I know you're wanting to know what the blank is, and we haven't got there yet. <clears throat> Your calling as a Christian is just like that Old Testament prophet. We are to warn of a coming judgment. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Listen, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. The point is, we live in the night and our job is to watch and to warn and so your blank, the key word that goes in your blank that I don't think I've given to you yet, is evangelism. It's evangelism. You say, oh, well, that, now that makes sense. Well, I'm glad. I mean, it took a minute, but it's evangelism. You know, that's what he's doing. He's warning of coming judgment. That's what we're called to do. That's what God reveals. Listen, it's no different. Old Testament, New Testament, it's the same picture. It's the same Example. Do you guys remember Noah? Anybody remember Noah? Okay. Not Moses in the ark. Noah in the ark. Do you guys remember? All right. <laughs> I was going to mess you up there, but I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm a nice guy this morning. Look, Hebrews 11 and, and verse 7 says this. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. God told Noah, here's some things that are going to happen, but, but you're not going to see it work out just yet. When, when he was warned of God, he moved with fear and he prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. If you, if you go back and study Genesis chapter 6, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8. And, and after he found grace, listen, he was warned of God that there's going to come a 100%, not chance, a 100% assurance of rain. It never rained on this earth. And, and the Lord said in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3, and I think this is the way you interpret that, that in 120 years, it's going to rain. You need to get ready. You need to move with fear. And so, and so Noah did what God told him to do. He prepared an ark. And the, also, the other thing that he did is he began to warn people. Listen, if God had never sent rain and God is going to send a worldwide flood to judge the world, 
And yet he, he added uh, provision through an ark that anyone that would get in this ark could be saved from judgment. Well, isn't that a great picture of salvation and the gospel? You know, have any of you been to the ark exhibit? A couple of you have been to the ark exhibit. I haven't had a chance to go yet. I want to go. Um, so I ask this question all the time. I, I, the guys that have been, I've always asked, well, how is the inside set up? You know, how much, how, much, how much room do they have for animals and all these different things? And some of you guys have told me, yeah, they, they kind of have it like this and it's structured like this. Here's what I want you to, to know about the ark because here's what I know about the grace of God. That ark was big enough for anybody that would have responded to get on the boat. It, it was bi- God's provision and God's protection and God's forgiveness and God's grace is such that if anyone would have responded to Noah's warning, well, there was enough room on the boat. Now, God doesn't care more about those animals than he does about people. Second Peter chapter, five, chapter 2 and verse 5 says this, that God warned Noah, and Noah took that warning to other people. Second Peter 2 and verse 5 says this, that God spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Noah was a preacher. Noah didn't just build the ark and put his own family in it. Noah actually preached righteousness and he preached of a coming judgment and he gave warning and I believe he preached for 120 years. You say, well, he didn't have a, a really fruitful ministry. We don't measure success by numbers friend. We measure it by obedience. And I'm going to tell you who was on that that ark, his family. Your first ministry begins at home, by the way. But but your first ministry doesn't absolve you from your responsibility to warn other people. We are called to preach the gospel. You say, give me something else, Jay, because I'm sick of hearing that. There is nothing else. There is nothing else. And the problem is, if you think there's something else, you don't see the vision clearly. There's a man in a tower wanting to warn the people on behalf of God. God, you speak to me. And I want to repent at whatever you have to say to me. And then I want to warn these people. That's all it is. But that's all it is. So, so what we learn from, from, from Habakkuk is, man, he, he certainly was in the right place. He was in a place ready to warn others. Number two, he had the right heart. He had the right heart because he was ready himself to weep. If you go back to the verse in verse 1, he says, I'm going to watch and see what he, the Lord, will say to me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. Not the nation of Israel. Lord, when you speak, well, I know it's going to hit me first. (laughs) And I'm willing to be reproved by you, God. Habakkuk was really concerned and and interested in, in God speaking to him. And his heart was tender that, Lord, no matter what it is, you bring on the table. Listen, I am going to repent at your reproof. The word reproved literally means corrected, to be rebuked or to be chastened. God's word is a reproving agent in our life. 
In other words, God wants to use his word to correct us, to rebuke us, to chasten us. Listen, you say, I don't like that kind of preaching. The Bible says that God's word is profitable for that so that you can be who God called you to be. 2 Peter 3 and verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable so that you feel good. So that you can have a better week and have a better marriage and have better children and make more money. It's profitable for doctrine, teaching. In other words, doctrine is what is right, what is truth. The second thing that he mentions in that list is that that all scripture is profitable for reproof. In other words, once I know what is right, well, then I know where I'm wrong. Are you hearing me? Habakkuk said, I'm interested, Lord, in what you're going to say to me and how I'm going to answer you when I'm reproved, when I'm corrected, when you reveal to me what's right and how I'm wrong. When you reveal what's right and how Judah is wrong. Listen, I, I, I don't know This is a burden, man. It is absolutely a burden of my heart. I do not know in the 21st century how many people show up to church anticipating the Lord to speak to them. If you don't anticipate it, it probably won't happen. And let me give you a free one. Your anticipation should be that the Lord will first and foremost teach you what is right and secondly, tell you where you're wrong. You hear me? And if that's not your understanding of how it works, then you don't understand how it works. Second Peter, Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5 says, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. So the key question for for every one of us is, what will I answer when I am reproved? What will I answer when I'm reproved? You say, man, well, let's talk about somebody else. I mean, let's talk about the church as a whole, or let's talk about all Christians, or let's just talk about the world. No, let's talk about you. What will you answer when you are reproved, when God speaks to you? How will you answer? Alan Shelby has a saying, I love the saying, and I think it's, a, I think it's you know, Alan Shelby is like, man, awesome. He has this saying, I've used it before, and this is a true saying. He says, you can come to Jesus as you are, but you can't stay as you is. You hear me? You can come to Jesus as you are because salvation is free, man. Grace is free. It's free to you. All you have, it's a free gift. You have to receive it by faith alone. It's absolutely free. But listen, once you receive it, you can come as you are. But if you're going to follow the Lord and be a, be a Christian the way that God wants you to be, you can't stay as you is. And, and, and part of that is learning what is right from God's word and then, and then being corrected and saying, you know what? The way you think about fill in the blank needs to adjust to what God says about that. that that's what it is. That's how lost people get saved. They understand their need for a savior. They change their mind. They learn doctrine. This is what the gospel is. And then when they're corrected, they repent or not.
That's evangelism. Number two, go back to the text. I, I know we have 10 minutes, and I think we can make it. Go back to number two. Go back to the verse, Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, I will stand upon my watch. I will set me upon the tower. I will watch to see what he will say unto me, what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me. And aren't you thankful that the Lord answers? And he answered and he said, write the vision and make it plain upon tables. Okay, so the Lord actually gives Habakkuk what he's asking for, for clarity, for a vision. And so number two, God gives vision so that it can be reproduced in the lives of other people. Habakkuk understood, I'm called to warn, I'm called to speak on God's behalf, I'm called to warn other people. Because he focused on warning, and, and we would say that's a picture of evangelism, God answered and said, okay, now I want you to write this vision and I want you to make it plain upon tables. Not tables like, like dinner tables, but think tables like tables of stone or, or, or tablets of stone. Think tablets maybe for that word. So the key word that we're going to look at is discipleship. And I know you've never heard that word in this church. So the Lord spake to Habakkuk. That's called revelation. God revealed himself to Habakkuk. And he was to take that vision and to write it down and then make it reproducible. And, and we don't have time. You have a divine process of revelation. By the way, that process is how you got your Bible. God revealed himself to holy men of God. Holy men spake God's word. Someone captured the word of God and wrote it down. Then they copied it, and it was preserved through the priesthood of believers and ultimately translated into other languages. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 says this, verses 20 and 21, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So inspiration doesn't mean writing. Inspiration means speaking. And then those words were captured and written down, and then they were read. Are you okay with that? I mean, do you understand what I'm... I'm just trying to give you the process of revelation. Why is that important? We're going to have to skip ahead a little bit. Well, today, there's no need for more revelation. The canon of Scripture is complete. God has used apostles, God has used prophets in the New Testament to, to finish out the Bible. The, the entire revelation of God is, is absolutely complete. And, and so in Habakkuk 2, you do have a, a biblical process of inspiration and, and inscripturation and transmission. You have all of that. But, but let me just take it a step further and make it applicable. Look. God's not done writing in the sense that God wants to take now his, his word and he wants to write it somewhere else. He's already written it in the pages of this book. But God, wanted, God wants to use a process of inspiration, holy men of God speaking God's word so that the Spirit of God can write these words not again on pages of paper, but upon your heart, your heart. Proverbs chapter, chapter 3 and verses 2 to 3 says this, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee, bind them about thy neck. Write them, mercy and truth, upon the table of thine heart. 
In other words, God wants to reproduce the vision. God wants to take the, the inspired Word of God and He wants to inscripturate it onto your heart. Because it, it does you no good just staying in the pages of this book. If it never gets off this book into your ears and down to your heart, it's not profitable. Proverbs chapter 7, verses 2 to 3, it says, Keep my commandments and live, and my law is the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers and write them upon the table of thine heart. Habakkuk was to take God's word and write it plain upon tables. You know what the ministry of discipleship is? It's taking the word of God and speaking it into the lives of other people so that the Spirit of God can write those words on the tables of your heart. You say, I don't know if I buy that. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're a concerned critic. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul felt that way. That's the way Paul did ministry. Paul took God's Word, and holy men of God, such as Paul, preached and taught God's Word and the Spirit of God would take those words, and the ready hearer of those words, the Spirit of God would write those words and ingrain those words into the very heart of men and women that would fall in love with God's Word and want to obey it. That is discipleship. It is the actual reproduction. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, Ye are our epistle. He's talking to people. Your our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. What? In other words, what Paul is telling the Corinthians is, God has used a process of inspiration and inscripturation in your life. And, and actually, everybody that you come in contact with reads you. They, re they read you. You're seen and read of all men. You say, well, no, man, when I go to work, I'm not a Christian at work because I'll, I'll lose my job. No, no, you're seen and read of all men. Verse 3 says, for as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in the fleshly tables of the heart. That's all discipleship is. Discipleship is the reproduction of God's vision upon tables. And the tables aren't pages in books or whiteboards. The table is your heart. The table is your heart. And by the way, you are seen and read of all men. So what do all men see and read of you? And what do all men see and read of Christ that's been written on your heart? See, I would dare say that, 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 that if we have nothing written on our heart, if we've not allowed the Word of God to be ingrained and inscripturated and changed and lodged and kept in our heart, well, then people probably don't know a whole lot about Christ when they read us. Do you hear me? That's just discipleship. I mean, what do people know about Christ outside of these four walls because of what's been written in your heart? Let me make it more personal. What do people inside these four walls 
see and read about Christ because of what's been written on your heart. It's just discipleship. It's just the same thing. It doesn't matter where you go in the Bible. It's just the same thing. It's evangelism. It's discipleship. Let me give you the last one. We're done. Go back to verse 2. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 2. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Make it plain upon the tables that he may run that readeth it. So God, God gives vision number three so that the reader will run. Run. He that may, he that may run that readeth it. And, and, and so Habakkuk is making God's word readable. He's, he's writing God's word on these tables of stone so that anyone that reads it would respond rightly. The right response to what you read from Habakkuk was to run. And, and where to and how far, listen, all those are details that maybe you can dig out. The, the, the issue is not how far and where to. The issue is that it, it imposed a reaction. So the key word is, is missions. The key word is missions. I mean, I mean, listen, God has called us to run this race, and he's called us to run literally to the end of the world and to, and to reproduce local churches all over this planet. That's what he's called us to do. He's called us to preach the gospel, make disciples, and run to the end of the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me just close. We'll close it down here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. God made his word readable to all men. You have the words of God in front of you. Those words need to get in your hearts. You need to read it so you can run. Paul understood this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. Paul says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Paul's concern was to gain men. He wants to win them to Christ and make them disciples. Unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as unto, under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law, not being without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means Save some. Not because Paul didn't want to save them all. He just knew not everyone would believe. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. And then he asked the question, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. Man, you, you run a race, you run a 5K, you run a 10K, you get a medal, you get a trophy. That's a corruptible crown. God says you need to run so that you can get an incorruptible crown, something that's eternal. It's a reward from the Lord himself because you run the race that he laid out for you. And Paul says in verse 26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. And I just want to tell you, man, there's a lot of Christians in the 21st century that, have, that live their life uncertainly. They have no vision. They have no biblical understanding. They don't understand what God has called them to be a part of. And so they're a part of everything or they're a part of nothing. And there's no clarity. 
Paul says, I so run, not as uncertain, certainly, so fight I, not, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest any means when I preach to others, I myself have become a castaway. Years ago when we were in Decatur, we had a, a annual little 5K event that we put on for, uh, it raised money for an evangelistic event that we, we hosted through our college ministry. And so anyways, we had this, this course certification team that came in. And we mapped out a 5K course through the neighborhood. You remember that? The old Senior Cup 5K. That course had a very definitive beginning, and it had a very definitive ending. And if you ran the course, you could cross the finish line and you could compete for the prize. If you did not follow the course and you came back first, that didn't mean you won. You had to, you cheated. Or you were ignorant of the course. <laughs> you know, and so there were, listen, runners are fanatics. If you're a runner, God bless you. That's, a, that's almost a spiritual gift. I don't get it, okay? <laughs> My dad was a runner. I, I just don't get it. So we actually, this was, this was back in the old days, man, before like GoPros and all that stuff. And I actually had a video camera, old school like tape video camera in my forerunner. And I opened the sunroof and I actually drove the course, you know, with this video camera. And then I edited the video and I posted it on this really lame website that we made for this 5K race. Because runners wanted to know, what's the course? What am I running? Where are the turns? Where are the straightaways? Where are the hills? I need to know the course because I want to win. Listen, if you're going to run the race that God has called you to do, there is a definitive course. And this is it. And, and whether or not you get there first doesn't matter. The issue is, did you finish on the course? That's what's going to matter at the judgment seat of Christ. Paul said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course. I want to stay on course. I want to run the race. He said in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 7, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. You better know what the course is, Christian. Because you can run, you can run a race that the Lord didn't lay out for you. And I'm afraid of the judgment seat of Christ, man. There are going to be a lot of Christians and a lot of churches that quite honestly ran themselves to death doing the wrong thing. Doing the wrong thing. Either trying to cheat <laughs> or willingly ignorant of the course. I got a lot more, but we're out of time. You know, God's answer to Habakkuk was, you know what? Habakkuk, you're answering why, you're asking the question, why is this happening? Why are you judging us? Why, 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 aren't you, why aren't you judging these wicked Chaldeans? Why are these Babylonians beating up on us? Why are they destroying us? Why is all this happening? God, are you just going to sit back and let this, let this happen? You know what God's answer to Habakkuk was? He gave him a vision. And he said, you need to make it plain so anybody that can read it runs. That was the answer. His answer was, here's the vision. You need to run. God's given us a vision, church. It's to evangelize, it's to make disciples, and it's to take what we've learned here and reproduce it throughout the world. And that's it. And that's a lot. But that's what it is.
And if we don't see that clearly, you know, and I've got to do a better job making it plain, but sometimes if it, it is plain and we still don't do it, that's not on me. And, and that's in your last note. Look, just because it's plain, it doesn't mean people believe that. John chapter 10, you ever heard people say Jesus never said out loud that he was the Christ, the Messiah? You ever heard that criticism of Christ? Well, those people have never read the Bible. John chapter 10, verse 23, Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then he came, the, the, the Jews came around about him and he said to them, how, they said to him, how long does thou make us doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us how. Plainly. Lay it out plain. Just make it plain if you really are the Christ. Make it plain. Jesus answered them, I told you. In other words, I told you I am the Christ. I've already told you. I've made it plain. And you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me. The point is, even if we understand plainly what the vision is, at some point you've got to believe it. You know, you can know, the, you can know the gospel and not believe it. Do you understand? You can also be saved and know that this is what God wants us to do and not believe it. But I'm telling you, that's all there is. And whatever you have in your mind of what you think it is that we're to be about, that's all it is. So we need clarity. All right, let's pray.